Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. This episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Mac Nutrition and the Mac Nutrition Universal Certification. The MNU certification is fast becoming the gold standard when it comes to nutritional knowledge in the health and fitness industry. It's a 12-month, 100% evidence-based online nutrition course that can be completed alongside full-time work from anywhere in the world and qualifies you to be insured to practice as a nutritionist in over 25 countries around the world. You can also get a generous 50% off the enrollment fees using the coupon code LEANNE50. This week's podcast guest is a special one. Please welcome Beck Mitchell from Sydney, who has a bachelor's degree in physiotherapy, is a meditation coach, and is also just about to complete her master's degree in positive psychology. Beck prides herself on teaching evidence-based skills for well-being and productivity. She's passionate about evidence-based well-being because it helps us to think clearer, be more creative, focus more effectively, enhance our mood, and also allows us to give more to the world. And honestly, isn't that what life's about? On today's podcast, Beck and I chat about mindfulness, how it's defined, what it looks like, and how we can all be a little bit more mindful. We talk about well-being and workplace well-being, burnout, our physical, mental, and emotional health, and also productivity. To end the podcast, Beck gives us her number one tip to do each day to improve health and happiness. You can follow Beck on social media. She's at Beck Mitchell or explore more on her website, which is www.beckmitchell.com. Welcome to the podcast, Beck. I'm so excited to have you on today chatting all things mindfulness, well-being and productivity. Thank you so much for having me, Leanne. And how has this year been treating you? 2021, it's been a bit of a funny year. So has it been a good year for you? Have you been super busy with work? What have you been up to? I feel like a lot of people have become really busy this year because we've all realised things aren't going to change anytime soon. We've just got to get on with it. So I have been studying full time. Um, I'm doing my master's in positive psych, as you mentioned. Um, and I'm also running my own business, which is also sort of a full time venture. Um, but probably my most exciting pursuit of the year so far is that I've managed to grow three quarters of a human being. <laughs> so I'm currently 30 weeks pregnant. So yeah, it's been a busy, but really exciting year. That is so exciting. And so you'd be due very soon in the next couple of months. Yeah, early September. So I'm starting to feel enormous. And despite being a physio, you know, for 11 years now, I still have got the worst pelvic girdle pain. I always swore that I wouldn't end up with any problems, but I think having a baby is a, t- is a tough thing. Yeah, I have heard that. So let's look for the silver linings in 2021. And growing a beautiful human is definitely one of those wonderful silver linings, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, let's start off with mindfulness because I feel like we hear a lot of this on social media. It's, It's a big trend in the wellness industry these days. And I think a lot of people have really heard about mindfulness, but I'm not sure a lot of us understand what it really is. So is there a like a definition of what mindfulness is? Yeah, I I completely agree with you that it is one of those ideas that is so poorly misunderstood. And I think when I go out to corporates and ask people, like, can you define mindfulness for 
me, the variation in what I hear is massive. So, you know, I don't think there's a wrong answer per se, but my favourite definition is from um, John Kabat-Zinn, who was sort of the first guy who, who was worked in medicine and he brought a lot of this Eastern ideas into the Western medicine space. And he explains it as basically awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. And I think it's that non-judgmentally piece that a lot of us probably don't pay as much attention to because sometimes we can be present maybe or feel that we're present in the moment, but our brain is still madly analyzing, judging, you know, how we're feeling, what we're thinking, what we're doing, what other people are thinking of us. And that's not true mindfulness. So I think that non-judgmental part is really key. Mm, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And are you able to give our listeners at home, I guess, a couple of examples of what mindfulness would look like perhaps in a setting like sort of work and then mindfulness in terms of how you would be mindful during exercise? I mean, I think exercise is probably one of the biggest ones where a lot of people experience true mindfulness maybe without even realising. So, you know, maybe in the middle of a yoga class when you're really feeling just in the zone and all you're thinking about is, you know, the sensations in your body, trying to get your body into the right position, the feeling of your muscles, maybe the sound of the music in the room. Perhaps you notice your emotions, that you're you're feeling a little bit more relaxed. So it's just awareness of all of the sensations you're having in that moment, but without that, you know, constant monkey mind analysis or talking to ourselves throughout the process of things which takes us away from being mindful. In a work setting, it's probably when you're really either engaged in a really great discussion potentially, um, where you're truly listening to the other person without actually sitting there. You know, we often have that habit of sitting and waiting and thinking about what our answer is going to be. But if we're truly present, looking that person in the eye and listening to what they have to say, I think that can be a really mindful experience or potentially working on a task that's really engaging where you go into what we call flow state, where you're so present in the moment that, you know, time flies by, you forget to eat your lunch because you're so excited and engaged in what you're doing. And that that could also be a form of mindfulness. Absolutely. And I love nothing more than feeling in that zone, in that flow state. But I must admit, my brain's one of those ones that tries to do a million things at the same time. And for me to actually yeah. get into that flow state is sometimes it's really, really difficult. Or, you know, I'm having a conversation with something and then my mind just goes, oh, maybe I should go get some coffee. Or, oh, what am I going to have for lunch today? And I'm like, no, 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 back back to the conversation. How do we, yeah. are there any, I guess, tips for being more mindful? How do we stop our brain from going in these all different directions or trying to just stay that little bit more present because it is so lovely when you're actually having a conversation with someone and they are making eye contact and they are engaging and you do really feel like you're being heard. It is so important, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, it's probably two things. Firstly, there are certain people and certain situations where you as a human being will naturally be more present because you're really enjoying the conversation or the activity. So um, it's something that we call in positive psychology, high quality connections. And that's when, you know, when you're talking to someone and you feel like they really get you and you really get them and you really kind of care about each other and you're able to have this kind of quite deep conversation that leaves you feeling really energized. And often those sorts of interactions compared to ones with someone who maybe you don't have any in common with or you feel like it's just small talk that the high quality connections leave us feeling really energized and they're far more mindful or you tend to be far more in that flow state and then in, in contrast to that I guess 
if you're in a situation where, I don't know, you're constantly putting yourself in situations, say at work, where you're doing jobs that don't get you excited or, you know, don't mean anything to you or don't feel like they have purpose behind them, then it is much more challenging to get into that mindful or flow state. So that's one thing I would say, seek out the right people, seek out the right activities if you're looking for mindfulness. And then the other thing is purposeful practice. So we know that the human brain is becoming less and less able to focus on one thing at a time. (laughs) So if we can actually consciously cultivate the ability to um, focus on, on one thing, which is generally done through meditation and that could be a mindful sort of meditation or it could just be any sort of regular meditation it actually improves that capability of us to a notice when our brain has drifted off and it's not thinking about what we're currently doing and b bring it back because that's literally all you're doing when you meditate and say you're sitting and doing a breath-based meditation you're sitting there you're focusing on the feeling of the breath and then your mind will drift off and your job is simply to notice eventually maybe after a few minutes sometimes that it's drifted and then gently coax it back without judgment and if even once in a meditation session you do notice that you've drifted and you bring it back you're slowly starting to change your neurology so that you get better and better at doing that in day-to-day life as well. Absolutely and it's so funny that you mentioned that because for so long I was like I don't meditate because I'm so bad at it and I remember a friend saying to me once what do you mean you're bad at it? How can you be bad at meditation? And I was like, oh, I can't sit there. Like my mind just drifts. And she's like, you know, that's the point, right? And I was like, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> I think that's so so true and so common. And I was definitely like that. You know, I'm one of the worst people at sitting still. And really, I think the people like us are the ones that probably need it the most. You know, if you're really great at just sitting and chilling out all the time, possibly you don't need meditation as much. (laughs) Absolutely. And for me, mindfulness is and meditation is something that really just helps to, I guess, like put me in the zone and decrease my stress levels and really just help me focus on the things that are important and what my purpose is and, you know, just be more in tune with my body. Are there any other benefits to mindfulness? Obviously I can think that it would help us be a lot more productive in our general day-to-day life, but are there any benefits from mindfulness, I guess, from like a health and a wellness perspective? There's actually a massive body of research now looking into the benefits of mindfulness. And I think what's really exciting is a lot of the studies are looking at everyday people like you and me, you know, not Buddhist monks that have been out there meditating. <laughs> 12 hours a day for their entire lives. So some of the studies say we'll get a group of people, encourage them to start meditating for say 10 to 20 minutes a day and do that for two to three months. And then they'll look back at um, some differences in how they're performing on certain tasks. And most of these studies show big improvements in all sorts of work-related things like productivity, creativity, um, our ability to focus at work, but also things like our reactivity, which is really important when it comes to relationships, for example. So being able to check yourself, notice where your thoughts are going at any one time, take that moment to pause and choose how you react is I think something that's also extremely powerful that mindfulness or meditation gives us. Absolutely. And I love that you brought in the relationship aspect as well, because I feel like a lot of listeners to this podcast come for the health and the wellness tips, but also get tips in terms of like work and productivity and relationships as well. So I love that mindfulness isn't just something that's going to help improve our health. It can also, you know, get us better in the corporate world, help us improve our relationships and just help us be 
better people overall because when we're being more mindful as you mentioned before we we can tune into our purpose a little bit more and we can have that sense of purpose which means that we understand why we're doing certain things and if they're working well or if they're not working because I feel like a lot of people who are a little bit lost or not sure where they're going or a little bit unhappy with their situation don't have that deeper sense of purpose which you can really get from mindfulness and meditation can't you yeah so true and I think like you've tapped into another really great point there where if you're more conscious through mindfulness it actually then tends to improve your eating so you know I run um, workshops on mindful eating from the psych perspective you would know much more about this from the uh, nutrition perspective but being more aware of what is driving every decision in your daily life can improve our eating habits and it can you know also improve exercise I think I've never been someone who was very into fitness or sport but through meditating, I've sort of been able to address a lot of, or being more mindful, sorry, I've been able to address a lot of those issues because I realized that it really it just comes down to me thinking, oh, people are going to judge me because I'm not very good at this. And, you know, if you can just be present in the moment and worrying about your body and how it feels when you're exercising and stop thinking about, you know, what like that big ripped dude in the corner over there is thinking of me as I'd use my two kilo weights <laughs> it takes a lot of that stress out of it and you can actually start to enjoy a lot of things that I think previously you may have felt concerned about judgment and stuff with absolutely and I think I think so many of us if not every single one of us suffer from that judgment but particularly from that self-judgment don't we like we're our own harshest critic and I love that being mindful allows us to let go of that inner critic or that inner mean girl whatever we want to call it and just allow us to focus on being in the gym and lifting a tiny weight that we might perceive that everyone else is doing here better fitter faster than us but if we can just focus on purely what we're doing and the benefits of what we're going to get out of it. We take away that inner critic or that inner judgment, which I think is so nice at the end of the day, because man, we're so harsh, particularly females on ourselves, aren't we? A hundred percent. Yeah. I think anything that we can be doing to decrease that is is so key. Definitely a positive. And then that brings me, I guess, to well-being. And I know you're a bit of a well-being guru. So you're a physio, you're a meditation teacher, you're a Pilates instructor, and you're about to complete your master's in positive psychology. That's incredible in itself, Beck. Say, but when it comes to well-being, why is this something that's really coming up in 2020, 2021, almost linked to COVID? Like positive well-being has become a real trend lately. Why is this, and why are we paying more attention to it than we ever have been before? I guess the obvious thing is that you know overall we know throughout the world that mental health has declined as a result of COVID, and there's so many different reasons for that. But I think social isolation is probably the biggest one. Um, and so when there's a big global decline, the, the one great thing that comes out of that is it increases the focus. And I think we've seen that a lot in Australia where so many more people are coming out and openly discussing their mental health. And I see it in the corporate space where you've got CEOs or team leaders who are willing to come out and talk to their team about the fact that they've been struggling and it actually puts wellbeing at the forefront. And I think last year I probably had my busiest year when I when I thought it was going to be a quiet year because so many companies are realising people are struggling and want, want to actually do something about it. So I think that's really really great but the big thing is obviously that we need to be making sure we're doing the right things because well-being is a very 
tricky word. I think it's very um, misinterpreted in a lot of the media. I think most of our perceptions of it is a bit confused. You know, well-being can be anything from something that Gwyneth Paltrow is like selling on Goop <laughs> that has absolutely no evidence behind it to, you know, something that's actually going to be extremely beneficial to you, like going and seeing a psychologist if you're feeling down. Absolutely. So what vagina scented candles aren't considered well-being? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. I was like, I don't know if this is the podcast for saying that. <laughs> yes, no. I mean, you know, each to their own, but it's not my personal view of well-being. <laughs> Absolutely. And when you think of well-being as a concept, what would you say would be the most, um, I guess, important concepts that involve well-being? What's been so interesting studying positive psych, because I guess like for people who don't know much about what it is, it's basically well-being science. So it's the science of how we can help people and organisations to flourish and thrive. And one of the biggest things that I've learned during my time studying it so far is that really well-being is almost impossible to define for so many reasons because it differs so much for each individual human and it differs between cultures. And so people coming out with their prescriptive view of what well-being is can be quite dangerous and it can, you know, can almost be more harmful than helpful in some situations. I really personally love the idea of what's called eudaimonic well-being or psychological well-being, which is slightly different to what a lot of Western well-being is considered. So Western well-being would be considered something like hedonic well-being. And that's kind of basically if you're feeling lots of positive emotions, not too many negative emotions, you've got good life satisfaction, that's well-being. Mm -hmm. But what that misses is I think the complexity of what it truly is to feel really good. And often that does involve some suffering or some negative emotions. And if we feel like we need to be pushing all the negative away in order to be our best selves, that can often lead to us, you know, pushing down negative emotions and not dealing with things. And also feeling like if things aren't all going perfectly in our lives, we can't be thriving, which just isn't true. So the opposite kind of end of the spectrum is, is this eudaimonic well-being. And that concept is really around thinking about well-being as something that's more ongoing and something where, you know, we're focusing on having a working towards our authentic self. So having meaning and purpose, which you've mentioned quite a few times, um, is one of the really key parts of it and acting with virtue and like really embracing our true selves, which I think to me really summarizes much more about what proper well-being, I shouldn't say proper, but what I believe well-being is. Yeah, and I love that. And I love it doesn't have like an end date or like a point where you get to and you're like, oh, I've reached the pinnacle of well-being. I'm here. That's it. Where now? Like it's almost like a journey where each time you achieve something or think of something or, you know, you're constantly evolving and there's no end point because I feel like so many of us, particularly in the health and wellness space, get caught up in these like eight-week challenges, 12-week challenges. Like I just want to lose weight for my friend's wedding in six months. And then it's like, then what? So we always set ourselves an end goal, but I love this idea of just constantly evolving and not knowing where we might be in 10 years time, but knowing that we will have a greater purpose and better satisfaction and we'll be a better version of ourselves in 10 years time, wherever that may be. And then we've got another 10 years to evolve and grow even more. <laughs> Yeah, it's so true. And like, I think we often think we focus on children and how they grow and evolve emotionally. And then it's sort of assumed, oh, you know, once you get to like early 20s, then you're an adult and we're done kind of thing. But really, you know, emotional evolving and growing and developing continues throughout our lifespan. And a lot of the research shows that, you know, people that have the highest levels of life satisfaction are actually the oldest people in our populations because they've had the time to slowly 
chip away at things and work on things. And so I think you're so right if you've got that attitude of it being, and I hate saying this, but a journey as opposed to a destination. I think it's a lot healthier and it also, you know, you put a lot less pressure on yourself too. Absolutely. And I also love the concept you brought up where life isn't always like rainbows and roses, like bad things happen and that's okay. And expecting us to always be happy and always be like, we're someone who, you know, just the sun shines out all of the time. Like that's not life, is it? And I think having that expectation of that's where we need to be, to be in a great place of well being, just isn't true reality. And I think that's what a lot of people do really struggle with this concept where I can wake up and feel like I'm having a bad day, but it's like, no, no, I shouldn't feel like that because I'm so lucky. I'm so grateful. I think a lot of this, particularly with the whole like body positive movement, I think a lot of people really struggle with that because like I myself don't wake up and, you know, look in the mirror and think I love my body every day, but every day, like I'm, you know, I'm grateful for parts of it and things that it can do and that sort of thing. So I love that your definition of well-being doesn't essentially mean that everything's always sunshine and roses, but sometimes Mm -hmm. bad things happen, but it's our ability to manage those and grow with them and evolve from them, which is really the key to well-being overall, isn't it? Yeah, completely agree. And then you mentioned that you do um, a lot of corporate work and presentations in, well, you know, corporate spaces. When it comes to workplace well-being, why is that important as well as sort of like our home life kind of well-being as well? So why is workplace well-being at the forefront of, again, like 2021? Because I think burnout is, it's a real thing that a lot of people are suffering from. I guess I moved into the corporate space from working in sports for a long time because I really felt like it was this great opportunity to get access to people who might not otherwise seek out health advice because, you know, it's not everyone that will go and see a dietitian or see a physio or go and see their GP regularly. But if you can get people where they work every day and essentially like force feed them some of this <laughs> content, I think it's a really great way to, to give them access to wellbeing information because we know obviously education is extremely powerful. And then I guess also, you know, as we all know, we spend a lot of our life at work. So no matter how great you are outside of work, if you walk in the door of your office and it's a really toxic work culture, your boss, you know, has no concern for your health and well-being, you have no work-life balance, then it doesn't really matter how much you do outside of work. It's still going to negatively impact you, particularly your mental health. So I think there's this great opportunity for organisations to be filling that gap. Absolutely. And I've, I remember reading studies, even in just the last few years, that businesses who focus on workplace well-being have happier employees. The employees are more successful. They want to be there. And off the top of my head, like Google's one of those ones where, you know, people who work at Google seem to love their job, but they really do focus on that workplace well-being. It's not just the fact that they work at Google and that's a really cool place to work. It's the fact that I think they give them, you know, regular time off during the week. And I think I'm sure it was Google. I was reading somewhere that they get one to two weeks a year to donate their time to a charity of their choosing, where again, you have that sense of purpose and you're giving back and it just makes you feel so good inside. So I think that I agree with you that those workplaces that focus on that well-being, yeah, you're just, you're so much happier to go to work knowing that you feel supported in every aspect, not just what you're doing in the workplace. And I think the great exciting thing is it's not just Google that's doing, you know, they were sort of the pioneers and they've probably done it in the most showy kind of way. You know, like a lot of them, I think there's like slides at Google, (laughs) ride around on Google bikes and it's free food. And so it's sort of this big show of well-being. But I think a lot of companies are chipping away now at things internally, which, which are 
possibly equally as effective, you know, just working on workplace culture or improving rewards and recognition so that people feel appreciated at work or improving training programs so they feel like they're progressing at work because some of those small things, you know, really contribute to that feeling of overall greater meaning in life and purpose and like you're actually progressing in your life and they're massive contributors to well-being and I think sometimes those components can be almost more helpful than you know chucking a free fruit box on the in the kitchen at work every Monday or you know doing a free occasional yoga class it's looking at you know what can we truly do what do our employees actually really need for them to thrive Mm -hmm. absolutely so again wellness isn't just from like a nutrition or a physical aspect it's more again it comes back to that sense of purpose doesn't it like what do our employees need to feel like they're appreciated and valued and making that progress in the right direction (laughs) yeah yeah wonderful I'm just taking a moment to shout out this episode sponsor, Mac Nutrition and the Mac Nutrition Universal Certification. With the MNU certification, you are qualified to be insured to practice as a nutritionist. You can get a bespoke insurance policy right here in Australia, which you can also use to work with clients globally. They have insurance policies in over 25 other countries, including the US, Canada, and the UK. MNU teaches you everything you need to know to get the best results with a wide range of clientele, including weight loss and muscle gain, as well as athletes. Likewise, they have modules on creating your own corporate wellness programs, working online as a coach, and provide a year's worth of business and professional mentoring to help you set up your own nutrition consultancy. You can also just use the course to improve your own knowledge around evidence-based nutrition. You can find out more information at www.mac-nutritionuni.com. As a listener of the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast, you can also get a generous 50% off the enrollment fees using the coupon code LEANNE50. Now, let's get right back to our episode. And then I guess when it comes to well-being... I sort of think of that in three aspects myself personally. So I sort of think like physical well-being, mental well-being and emotional well-being. So when we think about physical well-being, what sort of areas does that encompass and how can we improve our well-being from a physical aspect? I mean, I guess if I talk more from a physio perspective, you know, talking from movement would be my area of expertise. And I think, you know, physical aspect, obviously everything from nutrition to mental health will impact our physical health. But from a movement perspective, I'm really big on, you know, noticing where it is that someone is at in the journey and then trying to address that. So I just think general movement advice shouldn't be for everyone. It should be applicable based on kind of where you're currently at. So say, you know, you're someone who's not really doing much fitness at the moment. You don't really move your body other than maybe taking the dog for a short walk a couple of times a week. Then my advice is always around trying to set yourself a goal, but focus on regularity over intensity. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is be creating, again, those neural patterns in our brain or a habit formation process so that we are starting to crave exercise or it becomes automated. And I think the key thing that stops most people is that they try and do something really crazy and intense, like sign up for F45 or CrossFit because they want to try and get back on the bandwagon. And, you know, it lasts a week and they end up injured or they're sick of it and they don't go back. So like set a small low bar for your exercise goals if you're someone who's not currently moving your body and then gradually try and increase the intensity 
but try and do something every day if possible or maybe set yourself a goal for five days a week but focus on regularity ideally the same time every day too makes a big difference so if you're not having to think about you know oh maybe I won't go this morning I'll sleep in and I'll go after work then probably you won't go after work either so you know pick that one time of the day that you do it every day if it's possible within your schedule and try and stick to that and then finally pick something you don't hate because I think, you know, often we choose something where like we should do it or like someone on Instagram with a great six pack does it. But like think about like what do I not dread? And that's always my biggest thing is I don't love exercising. So I just have a list of a few types of movement like Pilates and walking and a bit of like interval jogging that I don't hate <laughs> and they're the things that are my go-tos um, and then I guess if you're at the other end of the spectrum and you're like super fit and super healthy and you you know exercise 12 times a week then it's about thinking you know is this best serving me is there a little bit more kind of slow movement that I could be adding in that might help my mental health as well um, you know maybe swapping out one of your high intensity workouts for some yoga or a stretching session or a slow walk and being conscious of the fact that sometimes less is more when it comes to movement, particularly if it's starting to impact you negatively. So it's just, I think about that balance and figuring out where you're at and what you need, because there's not one size fits all when it comes to physical health advice, I think. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think that ties really nicely moving us from the physical aspect of well-being into more of the mental aspect of well-being, because they link together. Like if you're someone that's over-exercising and pushing your body to the limit, that's going to affect us mentally as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, at the other end of the spectrum, we know that exercising is one of the most effective strategies for improving our mental health too and the research there is really astounding Mm -hmm. I think I think it's one of the things that's probably not spoken about enough is how powerful exercise is for mental well-being and some of the research that I've seen um, at uni there's like really high quality systematic reviews where they're looking at either antidepressants or exercise for people with mild to moderate depression and they generally come out with equal benefits which is not to say you know if you're on antidepressants certainly stay on them but just discuss with your health professional whether maybe adding exercise in could be helpful I think it's just that information is so powerful and you know potentially also as a preventative mechanism if you can be exercising more regularly then when things hit us like COVID you know we've got a strategy in place that we know will help to keep our mental health a little bit higher on that scale. Absolutely. And would you say that, for example, 10 minutes a day, every day is better than one hour once a week? Like, is there any research to show that you mentioned just trying to do things consistently, I guess, over time? So is something, even if you can only afford 10 to 15 minutes every single day, is that going to have a bigger impact for us physically and mentally than sort of one hour once a week or two hours once a week? Yeah, definitely. So the research shows that 15 minutes five times a week is like the kind of the minimum benefit for mental health so I think that's a really great starting point you know if you can think about Monday to Friday before work I'll go for a 15 minute speed power walk and you want to make sure that you are in that 15 minutes getting a little bit short of breath a little bit warm Um, you know you don't have to be sweating up a storm or anything but you do want to feel like you're working so maybe going a little bit faster or finding somewhere where there's hills if you're walking or if you're getting out on your bike you know again find some hills so that you're doing a little bit higher intensity for that 15 minutes Um, but certainly it doesn't have to be anything crazy and I think again it's about the habit as opposed to you know you see people who go out and do like a three-hour cycle every Saturday (laughs) but then do nothing every other day of the week and I think from a physio perspective but also from a mental health perspective that's not as much of a positive approach I think to our well-being I love that and 15 minutes 
sounds so achievable. Even to, I guess, like moms at home who have like four kids to look after, like 15 minutes is like take your kids to the park and run around in circles around them for 15 minutes. Like it can be super achievable, even for, you know, some of our busy surgeons and lawyers who might work like crazy, crazy workouts. 15 minutes isn't much. And honestly, if you could do 15 minutes of exercise while you're watching TV in the ad breaks, even if you're just doing simple things like body weight exercises and, and that sort of thing, 15 minutes is super achievable when you think about the 24 hours that every single person gets in a day. Yeah. I just, I always say something is always better than nothing. And I just think in our perfectionist society often, and I've been guilty of this, you feel like unless you're doing a really high intensity 45 minute workout, there's no point, but it's just not true. Like you will boost your happiness hormones. You will improve your posture. You'll reduce your risk of injury. Like so many great benefits, improve your cardiovascular health by doing even just a small pocket. And just you notice how much better you feel afterwards, like the mood boost that you get after just even 15 minutes of even stretching, like just getting out of your head and into your body and doing something positive for yourself has a really profound effect on your immediate mood as well. Absolutely. And I've definitely been guilty of that before as well. I'm like, oh, I've got a client call in 45 minutes or I've got something in 45 minutes. I I don't have time to exercise. I don't, you know, by the time I put my clothes on, it's going to be like 10 minutes already. What's the point? But I completely agree with you. Just the, the intention to do it. And then you just, you feel so much better afterwards like nobody ever regrets a workout you never feel bad after you do the workout it's just the hardest part is actually starting the workout isn't it? it's taking that first step and starting it and even if you do five minutes even if you do 25 minutes it's always going to feel better afterwards than before you started <laughs> yeah 100%. and then lastly in terms of well-being what I'd love to know from you Beck, is the emotional aspect of well-being so I guess this probably ties into some of our relationships whether that's the relationship we have with ourselves or our other important relationships with our lives Lives. How do we improve our well-being from an emotional aspect? Um, we talked really a lot about the physical and mental aspects, which I think a lot of people understand, but the emotional aspect of well-being probably isn't something that's really talked about or discussed a lot, is it? No, and I think I do think we're getting better at it. I think as a society that it's becoming something that people feel more comfortable discussing, which is really wonderful. My top piece of advice is really see a psychologist. Most people have a GP that they see semi-regularly, but for some reason our brain, which is arguably like our most important thing, you know, controls all elements of our life is something that we tend to neglect. And I think a true understanding of our own emotions is probably best done one-on-one in a therapy setting. So I do suggest if there's things that you think you should work through that that's extremely helpful and that you don't have to have something wrong with you or have a diagnosed mental illness to go and see a psychologist. So that's my number one tip. But then I think also it comes down to actually setting aside some time each day to check in on yourself. And maybe that's journaling, um, gratitude practice, just spending some time thinking about how you're feeling in your life and reflecting on it. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't need to be a 20 minute exercise. It could just be, I, you know, every morning after I meditate, I spend five minutes where I sit down and I write down three things that I'm excited about today, which helps me to kind of get into a good headspace emotionally. And then I just have a little bit of like, where I spend a few minutes just journaling about how I'm feeling, what's going on in my relationships or what's going on with work. And just by putting pen to paper or typing it out, 
but it actually just makes us more cognizant of what's going on in our own mind at any one time. And that gives you the power then to start noticing patterns, start noticing areas that maybe need to be changed. Because if you just sort of go through life like this whirlwind, crazy, like feeling things and never noticing, never taking time to pause and reflect and notice what you're feeling, then it's really hard to ever make change to that. So I think you, you need to take the time out and dedicate a few minutes a day to it. And I think that makes a really big difference. Absolutely. Because as adults, we're so good at running away from our emotions. And I work with a lot of women. I mean, there are lots of men out there as well who suffer with that emotional eating aspect. Or, And I think for a lot of people, it comes down to we're eating our emotions. We're using food or alcohol to soothe those emotions because we're not tuning in and even recognizing that emotions there. So it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel super anxious. It's okay to have a bad day. But I think as adults, we've sort of, I guess, learned maybe from the media that we shouldn't feel like that or that's not okay to feel like that. So we should be using something to numb that feeling or take away that feeling or bring us happiness in another way. Like if we're feeling sad, we'll go and eat a block of chocolate and now we feel a bit better because chocolate's delicious. (laughs) So I think it's one of those things where it is okay to, and it's good for us to regularly acknowledge those emotions every day and just sit with that emotion for a little while and just say, okay, well, I'm having a crappy day and I feel really crappy and that's okay to feel that way. Sort of sit with that emotion, feel it, release it. Um, Because it really is something like a form of therapy we can do almost for ourselves, which we just don't tend to do as adults, do we? We like to run far away from our emotions rather than actually acknowledging them. (laughs) Yeah, so true. I always say that, you know, sitting with discomfort is I think one of the biggest skills that we can build up. And meditation does um, teach us that to some degree. Like I did a um, Vipassana 10-day silent retreat and you spend 14 hours a day sitting still and for some of those periods you're not allowed to move at all. And I think, you know, you can foster small amounts of that in your day where if for your 10 minutes of meditation you say, okay, I'm not good at meditation and I get really fidgety but I'm just for 10 minutes just going to do my best to not fidget, not move and just sit here for 10 minutes. And even that in itself grows that ability for our brain to be okay with sitting with discomfort, which will then, you know, play out in later parts of our day where someone says something nasty to you and you want to react. But instead of reacting, you just sit there and notice that it's making you feel a little bit rubbish, check in, maybe you might like to journal about it and then let it go. And I think it's just so powerful. Absolutely. And hats off to you for doing that retreat. That sounds hardcore. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, I feel like at the time I was, (laughs) I don't know, I don't think I would do it again. It was really hard. <laughs> even though you mentioned just sitting there even for 10 minutes and not and not moving, I'm someone who just couldn't do that. Like I remember I'm not a fan of hot yoga and I, re- I really, honest to God, did try it so long. But I just remember in those classes where the teacher was like, like, you know, how you just feel the sweat coming off your face. And if it was like on the end of my nose, I'm like, I have to wipe that sweat off. I can't deal with sweat on my face. And she's like, don't wipe it away. Just sit with it, sit in the pose. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm so sweaty. And I'd be wiping it away <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, I would fail so miserably at that, just sitting still for 10 minutes. So I think even just the 10 minutes is a, is a new challenge I'm going to set for myself just in terms of my meditation practice. Cause I do try to do it, but I am, I am quite fidgety when I do that. So it's a nice little challenge for myself, I think. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, you probably do it in other ways too, right? Like you can, if you're doing heavier weights at the gym or, you know, there's all different ways that we can, or having a cold shower or something, there's lots of different ways that we can force discomfort upon ourselves and teach ourselves to be okay with sitting with it. It doesn't have to be meditation. Absolutely. But it is a really important practice to always be working towards, um, isn't it? It helps us become more resilient. (laughs) And the last thing I'd love to ask you about, Beck, is really around productivity, because I feel like mindfulness, well-being, it all ties back to just 
being that better version of ourselves and being more productive and being able to give more, whether that's in work, in relationships, in life. And that really does come down to productivity. So how does this all link together? Does mindfulness tie into well-being, tie into productivity? Why can we almost not have one without having the others, if that makes sense. I mean, productivity is really a reflection, I think, a lot of the time of how we are feeling. You know, we've all gone through periods of our lives where you're exercising regularly and you're eating really well, you've got your meal plans going, you've done the shopping, you're feeling like you've got your life really sorted out and everything else sort of falls into place so much more easily. Mm -hmm. And I do, human beings naturally tend to be a bit dichotomous, a bit black and white where it's a bit all or nothing. Mm -hmm. So it's like either everything's together or I just give up on everything and order Uber Eats and watch Netflix in the evenings, don't exercise. And when I get to work in the morning, you know, I haven't been eating well and I'm not feeling at my best because I'm not exercising. My brain's not super focused because I haven't been meditating. So you're less productive and just everything's kind of a little bit more rubbish. (laughs) So I think part of it is that, you know, we do know that fueling our body and our brain with the right stimulus of exercise good nutrition and, you know, some sort of mindfulness meditation practice will mean that our brains are at their best to be more productive at work. But I think there's also that a bit of that all or nothing thinking that can come into play. And we've got to be careful with that, particularly if you're a perfectionist, where you tend to just think, oh, well, if I'm not doing everything well, then there's no point in trying at anything. And that's definitely not true. Like any little bits of anything is always going to be really helpful. So just because, you know, your food and your your fitness isn't on track at the moment doesn't mean that you need to let your morning routine go or doesn't mean that you shouldn't still write a to-do list when you get into work in the morning um, with your top three things you want to get done that day. Like it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And I think it's a really good time for our listeners to even just check in on themselves and think, you know, has it been a rough couple of weeks or months or even a rough year? And is there something that we can start doing that's going to be just that little bit better for ourselves physically? physically, emotionally, mentally, and even if it's, as Beck mentioned, just 10 minutes to start with 10 minutes of meal planning or 10 minutes of exercise or 10 minutes of meditation, because it really does make us feel so much better. And that 10 minutes quickly becomes 15 or 20 minutes without you even really realizing. There's often been so many times where I've said to myself, I'm just going to go to the gym and walk on the treadmill. And if I'm not feeling it, I'll come home. And then I end up pumping out a whole one hour workout and feel fabulous afterwards. It's almost like Mm -hmm. we get that momentum after just putting in that small amount of effort isn't it? It's so true. Momentum is so, so key. And it's the same with if you procrastinate from a, with a work task or some sort of boring admin thing you've got to do, you know, I do the Pomodoro technique, Mm -hmm. which is quite old school, but I just find that so helpful, you know, where you basically set an alarm for 20 minutes and you say, okay, I'm just going to sit for 20 minutes and just to start like the most basic part of this task for 20 minutes. And then I get a 10 minute break after that. And I usually write down what I'm going to do in that 20 minutes and what my 10 minute break will be. So maybe the 10 minute breaks stretch postural stretching or going getting a coffee or getting some water and then another 20 minutes and those little chunks for our brain are often just so much more achievable than thinking oh I've set this whole day aside to work on this project and I've got to sit down and you just end up spending the whole morning baking banana bread and not getting anywhere absolutely and I think we have mentioned um, that technique on the podcast before and I'm just looking at one of the apps on my phone that I love using um, and it's called forest so you essentially um, 
plant a tree and you can set your timer for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. And at the end of whatever period you've set, so it might be over a five hour period, I'll try to do, you know, six to eight to 10 intentional 20 minute work focus moments. And then I've got this little forest of trees planted at the end of it. And if you pick up your phone or you touch that phone within that 20 minutes, you know, your tree dies or you don't get to plant the tree for that 20 minute period. So I think if you are someone who gets quite distracted or, um, you know, fidgets quite a lot, or it's hard for you to stay focused for even 10, 15, 20 minutes using a simple app like forest can be um, really helpful in terms of improving our productivity yeah i love forest it's great i really enjoy the guilt part of it where it's like oh you do really want to keep using your phone the tree's gonna die and you're like oh okay <laughs> i'll leave it i'm sorry i like that it gives you a little bit of a warning so it's like oh okay no no i really don't want to do that <laughs> Yeah, and save the trees. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then, Beck, my final, final question for you. To end this podcast, I'd love to know that if there's one thing that you would recommend every day to improve health, wellness, happiness, what would that one thing be? Or if our listeners can just leave this podcast and take away one key take-home message, what would your one thing be that would help us to improve health, happiness, wellness overall, make the biggest impact, I guess. My opinion has changed on this a lot in the last few years, but I would now say based on a lot of the research that I've read and my own personal experience, that it is reach out and increase your human connections. Because we know, you know, loneliness is so negative for our well-being. And there's some really fascinating research showing that, you know, even if you're walking down the street and you literally just smile at a passerby, that actually increases both your and their sense of connection and their sense of belonging in the community and gives them a little mood boost. So, you know, if you're at the cafe and you're not currently in a lockdown situation, um, you know, chat to the barista or smile at someone else who's waiting for their coffee and mention the weather. Like some of those little boring generic conversations that we often think are a waste of time actually are the most important parts of our day where they really give us that sense that another human being has seen us. And it might be that, you know, if you speak to the lady in the grocery shop in the morning or you say hello to one of your neighbours, that you're the only person in that entire day that truly looks them in the eye and makes them feel seen and heard. And it gives you that really great boost, but it also makes them feel good too. So like seek out connection day to day. And then obviously, you know, seek out those high quality connections as well. So even writing a list of all the people in your life who make you feel really energized when you spend time with them and put them on a sort of a high rotation on your phone call list. You know, I, if I'm having a rubbish day, I've got a list of people that I know always make me feel great because we just have really good quality chats about really meaningful things. Um, so I'll call one of them. So schedule in those, those catch-ups if it's over the phone or Zoom or in person and make that effort to cultivate as much connection in your life as you can. Absolutely. And thank goodness for technology in 2021. The the options, you know, we can talk to people on the other side of the world, which, you know, we couldn't have done if we had a worldwide pandemic 50 years ago. So we really do live in a, a world where it is easier to form those connections day to day, isn't it? But I love your simple tips, like just smiling at someone while you're walking down the street, because I'm always, and this probably sounds terrible, but almost shocked when somebody, you know, makes eye contact at me or smiles at me or says hello, because I often make that, I, I try to do that while I'm walking down the street, but the amount of people who are focused on their phone or looking at the concrete, you don't get that chance to make that connection because people don't really want to even look at you. <laughs> so it's lovely yeah, when someone yeah. does that back to you and you can make eye contact and smile and say, have a nice day. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. I think in some cities, it's almost like people think you're about to steal their handbag <laughs> if you say good morning to them. But just persist is my advice. I find that usually like 
60% of people will give you a friendly response. And either way, you know that you've like reached out and you've probably made a difference. Even if they were stuck in their phone and you say, good morning, they look up and they look a bit dazed (laughs) after they walk away, they'll realize and they'll probably still get that same mood boost. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, Beck. Well, I'd love for you to let our listeners know where they can find you, reach out to you, where can they follow you on social media, anything else you'd love to chat about if you've got um, any sort of online programs or where they might be able to reach out to you. Say they do work in a workplace that is focused on well-being. How can they get you to come and present all of your great work into their workplace as well? Yeah, so I'm pretty easy. Everything's the same. My website is just um, beckmitchell.com. My Instagram is beckmitchell and on LinkedIn, I spend quite a bit of time on LinkedIn and that's also Beck Mitchell and my email address um, if you're wanting to chat. And, you know, I just love talking about this stuff, which you obviously do too. So I sometimes just like people just email me that work for a company and they're like, look, I don't want someone to come out. I just want to talk through some ideas and I always quite enjoy that too. So um, my email is hello at beckmitchell.com. Wonderful. And pros to you for streamlining your entire business into Beck Mitchell. Um, I'm the worst. Mine's like all over the place. It's like the fitness dietitian, Leanne Ward, Leanne Ward nutrition. (laughs) It's hard, isn't it? I think especially like you're like me where you've got a couple of different niche areas. And so for a while I was like Beck physio and then I was like, oh no, I'm sort of moving more into the mental health space. So I just figured, look, I'll go with my name and then that's not going to change. Simple, exactly <laughs> simple. I love it. I wish I, I wish I knew that a couple of years ago. <laughs> All right, Beck. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today for some really powerful conversations about why our mood, our mental health, our physical well-being is so important, how that all ties so nicely together. And I think for me, one of the biggest takeaways was we don't have to do a lot of it. We don't have to be perfect at it. We don't always even have to have a great day every day. It's just the small things and those little 10 minute pockets that really do add up across the day, which I think is such a powerful take home message for our listeners today. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom um, with all of our listeners. And I'll pop all of your socials and websites in the show notes as well. So our listeners can go and um, quickly give you a follow from there. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me.